فاشرف بي لاشتغالي بالعلم ولا تبغي به ما عشت يدا بدلا ويا له من شرف عظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له يقول الحق وهو يهدي السبيل وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد As it's the norms of the scholars when they want to go through a book they will always talk about the biography of the author of that book and the book that we're going to start in the is called Nawaqad al-Islam and Nalafayas of Islam and the book is written by Muhammad, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah ta'ala so it's necessary that we have an idea of who he is and understand a bit about his biography alayhi rahmatullah in reality my beloved brothers and sisters the biography of an Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab is actually considered a practical example of the application of Salafi on this earth. That is, today we read in books of Aqidah how a, what a Salafi needs to believe, or a person from Ahl Sunnah or Jama'ah should believe. But you may ask yourself at times, what would the application be on this earth? How would Salafiyyah manifest on this earth? Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, rahimahullah, tu'addu mithalan hayyan wa ti'iyyan qareeban lima yu'rasul yawm bin tariqat al-Salafiyyah. The part that a Salafi should take, should he lobby into politics? Should he fight his way through everything and kill innocent women and children? Should he, should he? Or should he sit down and educate the people and teach them the Tawheed and purify them from shirk and nurture, nurture them upon Tawheed and eradicate and get rid of shirk? Is that the part that he should take? Maybe we all together. Which is it that he needs to do? Without a shadow of a doubt, it's done later on. That we need to educate the people, we need to teach the people we need to teach them the two most important things At-Tawheed al-Sunnah and the obedience of Allah and His Messenger and the thing that we need to warn them against is Al-Shirk wal-Bid'ah Shirk and innovation and once that is done it could lead to and it could bring about and it will inshaAllah bring about Tamkeen for the believers, Allah making them steadfast on this earth and making them the upper hand over their enemies. Now some people nowadays will look at that and say that is a joke, that that can even happen. By sitting in the masjid and teaching books and sitting in the masjid and educating the people, are you really serious? Do you think that's going to bring back al-majdu al-izzah, honor? For the believers again, here's an example inshallah for that. A person who did take that path, who did do that, who made sure that what he told the people was Aslul Usul, the fundamentals of their religion, 
and he did bring about order for the Muslims. So Muhammad Abdul Wahab studying him is actually studying the application of a Salafiyya. And that this does not just remain as Nadariya, a theoretical thing. Before we start the biography of Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab himself, we have to speak about the environment and the type of place that he came to, where he came, and how was the Arabian Peninsula before the birth of the Sheikh. As we all know, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, he was born when the year was 1000. 115. 1115. And Jazeera al Arab at that particular time, as the scholars who were there and were alive at that particular time spoke about, like Hussein ibn Al-Nam al Hasai, he's a very famous al Mu'arrakh al Shahid, he's a very famous historian who lived at that particular time. And he is an individual. Hussein uh, al al Hsai was an individual who became affected by the da'wah of Sheikh Muhammad Abdul He lived through it. Ta'ala. So, what he did was he wrote the history that took place at that time, how the Arabian Peninsula was prior to the da'wah of the Sheikh. Many others also spoke about the Arabian Peninsula and even at that time how Yemen was as well. And Imam Amir al-Sana'ani, Muhammad al-Amir al-Sana'ani, the author of the Kitab Subh al-Salam, Shaykh Buruh al-Maram, Amir al-Sana'ani also spoke about the Arabian Peninsula and how its situation uh, was. Because Muhammad Amir al-Sana'ani is more of a senior to Muhammad Abdul, he's older than Muhammad Abdul. Even though they didn't meet each other in a timing, they met each other in a timing, but of course, Amir Ali was older in age. Um, also from the scholars who spoke about the Arabian Peninsula and how it was before the Da'wah of Shaykh Muhammad Abdul Hab was Hussein al-Nu'mi. Hussein al-Nu'mi. Hussein al-Nu'mi is from the ulama of Yemen. Also, um, all of those which I mentioned, Hussein al-Nam al-Ihsai, and Muhammad Amir al-Sana'i and Hussein al-Nu'mi, all of them, they all mention that the situation of the people at that time prior to the Da'wah of Muhammad Abdul Hab was intishar al-shirk wal-dalalat, the spread of shirk and the spread of misguidance. Major shirk spread. Especially, especially in the Arabian Peninsula. People were worshipping, they were worshipping domes. People were worshipping shrines and they had, they had domes that they made. Stones and rocks. People went back to the pre-Islamic time. They went back to Jahiliya again. People were worshipping Qibab, they were worshipping Ahjar. They were worshipping Ashjar. Even the people were worshipping individuals. At that time, the Majani, the crazy ones, 
They claimed Al-Wilayah. They claimed Al-Wilayah, meaning they claim that they are Ilah. Or they are Awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They claim that they were Awliya of Allah. Magicians, fortune tellers spread. And of course this was not exclusive to the Arabian Peninsula alone. It wasn't specific to them. They, other countries in the world shared that with them. And this actually was spreading even more at the later stages of Ad-Dawla Al-Uthmaniyyah, the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire at its later stages, it, it, it never used to give importance to Aqeedah and Tawheed in the first place, but it got worse as time went on. And at the later stages of the Dawla Al-Uthmaniyyah, they actually started to what? They started to spread Al-Turq Sufiya, Sufism, Al-Bida' Al-Dalalat, Misguidance and etc. The place that the Shaykh Rahimahullah was born, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdullahab, along that particular place that he was from, which was Uyayna, there were 17, 17 trees, trees, tuqsadu min dunillahi that were called onto besides Allah. That the people would worship. This is where, this is a place that the Shaykh was born. And that place used to have a famous, famous uh, qibab, which was very well known in Jaziratul Arab. Jaziratul Arab had one qibab, it had one shrine, that there was no other shrine like it. And this was the one, it was the Qubba of Zayd ibn al-Khattab, Umar ibn al-Khattab's brother. It used to be in a place called Jubaira. This was the biggest shrine that they had. It is Akbar al-Qibab wal-Adriha that the people used to go to and intend and worship besides Allah. And they used to ask, they used to seek refuge in uh, Zayd ibn al-Khattab. Even in, uh, in, uh, Manuf- in a place called Manfuha, in a place called Manfuha, there was a Fahlu Nakhlin, Mashhurun Yusamma Fahlu al-Fuhul. There's another shrine called Fahlu al-Fuhul. And the women who couldn't have children, the awanis, the women who couldn't have children, they would go to those places and they would, or the women who were single, sorry, the women who were single, they would go there and they would ask for a husband. They would say, Ya Sahl al Fuhul, Uridu Zaujan Kabl al Hawl. O Fahl al Fuhul, I want a husband before the two year, two year cycle goes by. I want a husband, give me a husband. Dir'iyah, which is the place that the author, Rahimahullah, Shaykh Muhammad Abdullahab, was. As I said, it had how many trees? 17. From them is Maqamu Taj al-A'ma, the people used to come to this shrine. Um, there was even a cave that Awat ilayhi Amira, a, a princess, went into. And then the people started to a princess went into this cave, so what they did was they started to go to that cave. They, they called it Kahful Abira. They used to also take that as a, uh, they used to worship that as well. There was a Qubbat al Dirar ibn al Azwar, which was in Shi'b Ghubayra. All of these things is what gives you an idea of the time and the, the way the people were living. And that this was a Fatra, Muslimah. <coughs> 
a darkened era, a darkened time, shirk had spread. Worshipping besides Allah was spreading and it spread. So the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he spoke about this in his books and in his works. And also the scholars that I mentioned, they also spoke about all of this. So even his grandchildren, they spoke about these things. They knew that these things were happening. His grandchildren. Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, his name is Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab ibn Sulaiman ibn Ali al-Tamimi al-Hanbali al-Najdi. The scholars, they spoke about the biography of the Sheikh. And the best person who spoke about his biography and gave the best history of a biography about the author, Rahimahullah, Muhammad Abdul Wahhab, is Mu'arikh al-Ahsa, the historian of Ahsa. His name is Hussein ibn Ghannam al-Ahsa'i, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He has a kitab called Tariq al-Najd. And of course the name is longer than that, the book's name is longer than that, but it's short for Tariq al-Najd. If you take the first volume of that kitab, Tariq al-Najd, the first volume, he only speaks about the tarjama of the Shaykh, nothing else. He just talks about the first volume is only about Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. And Hussein ibn Ghannam al-Hasai was actually with the Shaykh. He was close with the Shaykh. And the Shaykh, rahimahullah, requested from him. The Shaykh asked him. Hussein ibn Ghannam al-Hasai, he asked him, if he could actually write the biography of the Sheikh, and not only that, the history and things that are happening. Because the Sheikh was very sharp, he could see that people were going to make up lies against him. So he made sure that the incidents and everything that had happened was documented. It was written. Rahimahullah. And Hussein ibn Ghannam al-Ahsai, he was from the people who gave victory to the Sheikh's da'wah. He was affected by that da'wah. Um, and he made sure that the tariq was written. A lot of the people who talk about the biography of the Shaykh haven't read this book. They read Orientalist books. And then they judge Muhammad Abdul Wahab based on that. Also from the people who wrote about the biography of the Shaykh is Uthman ibn Bishr, rahimahullah. He has a kitab called Inwan al-Majd. He, he spoke about it in that book of his. Also the scholars that spoke about the da'wah of the shaykh and the shaykh himself and gave us a bit about who he was is his own children and his offspring the a'immatu da'wati bijdiya the scholars that had come out from his legacy and his works so if you go to the kitab ad-durr al-saniya you will find in the kitab ad-durr al-saniya the uh, the a'immatu da'wati bijdiya what they mentioned about the shaykh rahimahullah ta'ala so there are many places that you can see from him even Al-Imam al-Shawkani, Muhammad ibn Ali al-Shawkani, who is the student of Muhammad Amir al-Sanani, he also spoke about it. Also, the, even the famous Egyptian historian, Jabarti, the, Egyptian, the famous Egyptian historian, Jabarti, he also talked about the tariq and the biography of the, uh, the Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Ham and the da'wah of the Sheikh Rahimahullah. As I said before, the Sheikh was born when the year was 1115 Hijriya. He was born in a place called Belda. His Belda was Uyayna. That's where he was born. Which is a place very close to Riyadh. Very close to Riyadh. And it is 70 kilometers. 70 kilometers from Riyadh right now. 
The Shaykh Rahimahullah, as it's well known, he took knowledge from his father, number one. His father was Qadi, he was a judge of Uyayna. And his grandfather was an alim that he would be called his grandfather. His grandfather was called Mufti Diyari Najdiya. That's the name that his grandfather had, which is the, the Mufti of all of uh, Najd. The, one of the uh, elite scholars of that time, one of the most famous scholars of that time, uh, Hassan al-Tamimi, he took the Shaykh under his wing. He took the Shaykh under his wing and he made sure he educated and taught him. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab and a very young age, signs of uh, amazement, uh, unique characteristics started to show from him at a very early stage in his life. The Shaykh Rahimahullah was excessively in love with the works of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. He would read those works. He would read the works of Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyyah. And Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab was his brain was sharp and it was strong. His memory, mind and his intelligence was profound and his IQ level was high. Rahimahullah. Allah opened for Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab many sciences. And the knowledge of the religion, Allah opened a lot for him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to really love and give time to tafsir and kutub sunnah and hadith and fiqh. The Shaykh looked into all of those. And the Shaykh rahimahullah, he looked at the people of his time. He looked at the current situation of the people of his time. Rahimahullah. And he realized that he saw that the majority of the things that he sees that his people are in is in opposition to that which the kitab and the sunnah has come with. And the Shaykh found that majority of the people in which he had found are in opposition to that which Allah commanded. In what? In some branches? لا. He saw that they were in opposition to what Allah commanded في أصل الأصول in the most fundamental thing of the religion في توحيد الله وإفراده بالعبادة that they were in opposition to Allah's command in توحيد and singling Allah in عبادة and the Shaykh رحمه الله he was one who would revise these issues and would discuss these issues excessively he would talk about it he would bring it to the people's attentions he even discussed this with his father and he brought it to his father's attention. And many discussions took place between him and his father. When the Shaykh reached 18 years of age, as it was mentioned by his Hafid grandson, Sheikh Abdul Rahman ibn Hassan ibn Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, as he mentioned, that the Shaykh went to do Hajj to the house of Allah. He was 18, of years, 18 years of age. The Shaykh made the decision of going to, to do Hajj. When he came to Hajj, he begged and he supplied. At this moment, going to Hajj, he had a decision in his heart, which is to call to Allah. 
That was a decision he made. So when he went to the, uh, this of course, made, the reason why he chose to do da'wah and he chose to stand up to do da'wah is because of the balal, the misguidance and the jahal, the ignorance that he saw very common amongst the people. So when he came to the Kaaba, he stood between al-ruknu al-bab and he begged and he lifted his hands up in the air and he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him the ability that Allah strengthens him and he also asked Allah that Allah opens the people's hearts for him and that Allah aids him in conveying his da'wah and you have to imagine he's only 18 years of age and you need to ask yourselves what are our 18 year olds doing now this is how he was thinking he had this himma al-aliyah he had this high aspiration at the age, at the age of 18 the shaykh wants to place on his shoulders the guiding of these people and he sees that he wants to take them out of the dhulumat, the darknesses that they're in and the misguidance that they're upon to the light of Tawheed and Sunnah but the Shaykh knew that that can't be done that a person can't go out and educate other people and teach other people if he himself doesn't have anything so the Shaykh realized that, he knew that as they say, فَاقِدُ شَيْءٍ لَا one who doesn't have can't give so the Shaykh embarked on seeking knowledge and meeting the ulama and revising with the scholars and he went to many places in the Muslim world he went to Ahsa, he went to Iraq, he went to Mecca, he went to Medina and he benefited from the scholars of those places he went to he truly benefited from two noble scholars in Medina two great ulamaini, two big scholars in Medina, which he benefited from. The first one is the great Indian scholar, Muhammad Hayat al-Sindi. Muhammad Abdullah benefited from Muhammad Hayat al-Sindi. And he benefited, because Muhammad Hayat al-Sindi was from the min al-muhaddithin al-kibar. Muhammad Hayat al-Sindi was from the senior and the elite scholars of hadith of that time. And Muhammad Hayat al-Sindi's aqeedah was in line with aqeedah ahli sunnah wal jama'ah before even Muhammad Abdullah embarked on his da'wah. And da'wah salafiyyah and da'wah tawheed was already present in India. India had already, they already had da'wah salafiyyah and da'wah ahli sunnah wal jama'ah still going on in India at that time. But we will speak about it later why many people were calling to tawheed like Hussein al-Nu'mi and Muhammad Amir al-Sad'ani and many scholars of, in India why they didn't succeed why were their da'wah not as effective as the da'wah of Muhammad Abdullah we'll speak about that insha'Allah ta'ala the second person which he benefited from in Medina was Abdullah ibn Ibrahim ibn Saif al-Najdi in Medina who was from the great scholars of that time as well the Shaykh rahimahullah he traveled to Basra every single place that he went to Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab he will benefit from that place and he would benefit from the scholars of that place and he would also leave with that he would leave that land with books he would leave with books that they he would take from them when the Shaykh rahimahullah came to Ahsa he stayed with a man by the name of Muhammad ibn Fayruz and with Muhammad ibn Fayruz were the books of Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab. 
So the Shaykh, what he did was he took many of the books from him. And the way that the books would be taken from someone is not that you can take the original copy. You would have to rewrite from the original copy. You would have to rewrite it fully. So the Shaykh, he copied from Muhammad ibn Fayruz the books of Shaykh al-Islam. But this individual, Muhammad ibn Fayruz, he became asbaha ba'da dalika min aladdi a'da'i shaykh. He became from the greatest, he became the staunch enemies of the shaykh. He became the mortal enemies of the shaykh. He wanted to see the shaykh, rahimahullah, go. So he became aladdi a'da'i da'wati al-shaykh lamma zaharat. When the da'wah of the shaykh became clear, he showed enmity and hate towards the shaykh. The shaykh's brain and his knowledge and his quwwah in his proofs are present in his works. The shaykh, he authored the kitab, kitab al-Tawheed, which today is a ummah fi tadris al-jami'at. Universities you go to, these are the books that are taught. You go to circles of knowledge, this book is taught. The shaykh authored kitab al-Tawheed, which is a ummah, it's a backbone. It's a backbone for a person of the Sunnah. It's a backbone for a person who holds on to Aqeedah Ahli Sunnah to Al-Jama'ah. Backbone for them. The Shaykh authored this in Basra. He authored it in Basra. وَكَانَ عُمُرُهُ And his age at that time was 25 years of age. He authored this book, Rahimahullah. He was only 25 years of age. And events and things took place in front of the Shaykh Rahimahullah due to this. These journeys that the Shaykh embarked on in which he took and he's traveling and the lessons and the benefits that he was given to the community without a shadow of a doubt the Shaykh was harmed because of it. The book he wrote he got harmed for that. When he was in Basra he had durus and lessons that were going on he got harmed for that. And he did not reach the age of 25, rahimahullah. He's at 25. His name, his reputation is being spoken about in corners in, of the Arabian Peninsula. People are speaking about a young boy, 25 years. He's called Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab. The people started to speak about him talk about him and they would speak about him as a young boy a, a fresh student of knowledge that's what they would refer to him who refuses and rejects the evil that the people are, are upon in worshipping the dead the calling and the supplicating of other than Allah looking for barakah in rocks and stones and trees and this man this young boy he calls to ta'adhibul kitab wa sunnah venerating and glorifying the book of Allah Honoring the evidences when they're brought to you. Following the textual evidences. taqlid, Stay away from blind following. <coughs> and anything like that. So the Shaykh Rahimahullah. فَانْتَشَرَتْ سِيْتُ وَجَرَتْ لَهُ أَحْدَاثُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ The Shaykh Rahimahullah. His name. His reputation. His honor is spread amongst the people. When the year was 1139, after the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he came from uh, Basra. He came to Uyayda. 
He came from Basra, and the Sheikh came to Uyayna. He found that his father, his father had a conflict with the leader of Uyayna. The leader of Uyayna and the father of the Sheikh, Muhammad Abdullah's father, they, had, they basically had a problem and a conflict. So his father left, his father left what? His father left Uyayna and his father went to Huraybila. His father went to Huraybila. So when his father went to this place, Huraybila, then Muhammad Abdul Hab would have to go with his father. So he went with his father in Huraybila when the year was 1140. And they stayed and remained in Huraymila. The Sheikh busied himself in knowledge, educating the people, sending letters, writing to scholars of the neighboring uh, uh, cities and the neighboring villages. He would write to them. The Sheikh did not hear of any scholar whatsoever, wherever he may be, except he tried to write a letter to him in the Jazeera al Arab. He would speak to them about these issues. And the Sheikh would give a lot of importance by bringing evidences for what he said. He would bring nusus from the Kitab and the Sunnah and the Athar al-Salaf. He would bring textual evidences from the Kitab. He would bring textual evidences from the Sunnah. He would bring proofs from the statement of the Salaf and the positions of the Salaf. The Sheikh, he had, he gave a lot of i'tida, consideration to the textual evidences that were transmitted to us from the Salaf. He used to give a lot of importance to that. And of course, you guys are all going to see that in his works. The Sheikh was somebody who they used to be amazed with how he could do istihbar of evidences. Like how he could bring the qala Allah qala Rasul as soon as he needed it. He became mathar um, istighraban, somebody they became amazed with and fascinated with. Because his memorization was sharp. He knew his evidences. Every issue that he held a position in, he knew who, who, who agreed with him on this. So he used to write to them. He would, he would debunk their doubts that they would bring to him, rahimahullah ta'ala. When the year was 1153 Hijriya, the Sheikh's father passed away. And so when your father dies, you always know that this leaves a vacuum for people to, to come and harm you. So what happened was the people of Huraybila they started to benefit from this opportunity. So they started to harm the Sheikh. 